My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. With your spirit. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection, came forward and put this question to Jesus, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us, if someone's brother dies, leaving a wife but no child, his brother must take the wife and raise up descendants for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married a woman but died childless. Then the second and the third married her. And likewise, all the seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. Now at the resurrection, whose wife will that woman be? For all seven had been married to her. Jesus said to them, The children of this age marry and remarry, but those who are deemed worthy to attain to the coming age and to the resurrection of the dead neither marry nor are given to marriage. They can no longer die, for they are like angels, and they are the children of God, because they are the ones who will rise. That the dead will rise, even Moses made known in the passage about the bush, when he called out, Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he is not God of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all are alive. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. What is $20 worth? In these days of inflation and economic woes, you might have to reconsider your answer on a daily basis. $20 used to be able to fill my car with gas. Now maybe I can get a third of a tank. But two stories that got a lot of attention this past week and talked about the $20 and the buying power of that in terms of, of all things, something connected to a person's identity. The first was from Elon Musk. The new owner of the social media company Twitter floated the idea of charging users who had the blue check mark next to their names on that platform $20 a month if they wanted that to continue. Of the millions of users on Twitter, that check mark was given to about half a million, which indicated that you're one of a small percentage of people who had been verified by the company. This had been introduced, believe it or not, 13 years ago, initially as a way to separate public officials and celebrities and athletes and other notable individuals in society from people who would set up a fake account and try to pretend to be one of those people. It became controversial over the years when Twitter started to decide who they would officially verify and who they wouldn't, especially when it came to political figures. And then Twitter started to punish people if one of their verified users said or did something that they deemed controversial, they would remove the blue check mark and make a very public pronouncement of that stripping as almost a way of publicly shaming people. Someone somewhere could be doing a whole study on how a virtual blue check mark on a screen became this status symbol that some people actively desired and sought and became very possessive over, which was demonstrated by 
how some were reacting to this news of being charged for it over the past week. The other story was far more serious and disturbing, ironically only coming to light because of Twitter. Videos and stories shared how there were these individuals lining up at a pagan festival in Texas last week to a booth being sponsored by a satanic temple for an unbaptism event. For $20, people would be directed to make these renunciation statements of their Christian faith, have an upside-down cross traced on their heads, chant something that I refuse to repeat, and then would receive a certificate of unbaptism. The organizers being interviewed claim that they don't actually believe Satan exists, which the great Christian author C.S. Lewis pointed out is one of the greatest tricks that the devil can ever pull off is to make people think he doesn't exist, but that they were just doing this as a, a way to sever ties to Christianity. Despite that claim, others talked about how they were doing it just to bother Christians and were dressed in ways that demonstrated that, that were offensive or meant basically to publicly mock those who are Christian. So you probably can't take a group that labels themselves as satanic as being very honest and upfront about, well, anything. So, But that a virtual checkmark randomly given to someone on the screen would be seen as a status symbol that made them feel they were one of the elite and recognized and important. That someone would take part in an unbaptism out of some brokenness or confusion or a desperate need for attention, which is at best stupid and inflammatory and worst, and more importantly, endangering to their souls. But both examples, to various degrees, seem striking and demonstrate the extremes of how unserious people take their identities for a mere $20 which is in such contrast for what we just heard in these scriptures tonight. At the heart of these readings, we're being asked to consider what shapes our identities and how that perspective affects everything or how it's meant to be, from how we live to how we die. And for us as Christians, it's all centered on our belief in the resurrection of the dead. That first reading from the second book of Maccabees is just so awesome. This story and that book of scripture, it's this rare and beautiful gift that we don't get to hear often at Mass. It took place a couple of centuries before the arrival of Jesus, and it recounts the stories of the Jewish people living in a world that has no use for the Lord God. I wonder if we can relate. In fact, The leaders were trying to eradicate any belief in him and force the remnant of faithful believers to abandon their religious beliefs. Again, wonder if we can relate. But this isn't being done with simply peer pressure or public scorn or mockery. It became a matter of life and death, which is what we heard about in tonight's scripture. If this family of a mother and her seven sons wanted to live, all they had to do was eat some pork which was a violation of the kosher laws that these faithful Jews were still following. But think about how some had already made justifications in their minds and hearts about this. This is an unjust, 
time. These people are demonic. They're crazy. They're insane. Let me just eat this pork. I don't mean to do it. I simply want to save my life from these tyrants. Moral theologians would probably debate how culpable could they have been. How it would be different, though, from those who had simply accepted that mandate to eat the pork without the threat of death. Maybe they just did it just because they wanted to fit in. They didn't want to look awkward among their peers. But these seven brothers and their mother, who we hear about today, they suffer horrific, barbaric deaths because they wouldn't even consider being unfaithful. In fact, this courageous mother insists that the only thing that matters is their eternal identity. A few verses after the part that we heard in tonight's scripture, it captures her saying to her sons this this breathtakingly beautiful reflection of this courageous woman about the wonder of motherhood and her sons. She says to her sons, I do not know how you came into being in my womb. It was not I who gave you life and breath, nor I who set in order the elements within each of you. As she's in awe and wonder at the gift of her sons, as much as they, in fact, gave her this precious identity of being a mother, which was something that she treasures, she doesn't lose sight of what's even greater than motherhood. As she continues, the creator of the world who shaped the beginning of man and devised the origin of all things will, in his mercy, give life and breath back to you again since you now forget yourselves for the sake of his laws. That last line just stayed with me, forgetting yourselves for the sake of his laws. Despite the fact that they were surrounded by all these lukewarm Jews who had already capitulated, despite not just the threats, but the reality of violence and death, this family is so single-minded in their belief, so steadfast in their faith, in God and trust in his promises in the life to come, they're able to endure all this. Their identity as God's people was of that importance. The gospel is even more striking because we see an example of religious people who had basically capitulated to this secular culture now confronting Jesus. The Sadducees, you could almost categorize them as cultural Jews, despite the fact that The Jews had lost their promised land, had lost their freedom. The Romans allowed them to to cling to their religious beliefs as long as they kept them private and kept them to themselves. It's kind of like when a politician today will say, personally, I believe, but I don't think that should affect how I vote or I legislate. The Sadducees had accepted that, and that had helped them to make them one of the elite of their day. They held these positions of authority in the temple, They were important to local government. So the Romans kind of relied on them to keep the people under control. So it's not hard to imagine how those things had crept in and changed their identity. And not only that, undermined their belief in God and his promises. Because if you believe in the resurrection of the dead, in the life to come, and that there's a God who's in authority over all those things, that shapes everything and that changes everything. These guys as religious as they claim to be, they are in charge of the temple, they're kind of dismissive of that belief. They didn't believe it at all. They're content with celebrating the feasts and following traditions as long as people didn't take it too serious. It's kind of like when 
People will spend three months watching Hallmark Christmas movies and shopping for gifts already, but they're not quite sure if they're ever going to be able to make it for Mass for Christmas or any other day. But anyway, the Sadducees demonstrate that by trying to embarrass Jesus and anyone who taught or held in a life to come. And they give this example of this woman who's married to seven brothers. Now, to our ears, it's a really bizarre story. It's kind of the worst soap opera plot line you can ever imagine. I mean, even Days of Our Lives by brother number four would think, this isn't going to end well for me. Like, you know, but getting back to the Sadducees, they had only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. And in those times of salvation history, they had been led out of Egyptian slavery to the promised land. And there was an urgent need for the people to not just survive, but to grow and to flourish. So that's where that tradition of a younger brother stepping up to marry his deceased brother's wife would have been childless, who didn't have any children of their own. But they take that temporal reality or that custom out of context and try to use that to justify their own lack of belief. They draw this incorrect conclusion that if Moses had permitted that and encouraged that custom, it's because Moses only believed in this life. And Jesus smacks them down very gently but devastatingly, not by arguing how wrong they are for not accepting the rest of the Old Testament, but using that very argument against them. You want to use Moses, he's basically saying, and you want to appeal to him as authority? That's great, that's fine. As he points out that Moses himself calls out to the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, all men who were dead at that point. If this was all there was, if this life was all there was, then the promises that God had made to those men and to Moses himself, which were never fulfilled in their lifetimes, would have been meaningless. A living God, an all-powerful creator, would never be identified by a relationship with dead people who ceased to exist. And that's the ultimate of good news. You would think that as narrow focus that the Sadducees had with their approach to Scripture and God, that this would be received with great joy. But for some, for many, that's definitely not the case. Because if you acknowledge and if you believe and you recognize that there's a life to come, that has to change your perception now. And what you believe here and now and how you live here and now. That would get them in trouble with the Romans when they had to obey God's law rather than Roman law. That would mean they'd have to make choices that went against their, their human wants and their desires by putting his wants and needs first and foremost. And that not only remains the case for us here and now, but if anything, the stakes have been raised considerably. It might not seem like that in a world where the most in the spotlight are continuing to tweet about their blue check marks or where extensive coverage of renouncing the free gift of eternal life given in baptism is being covered and treated as an example of freedom of religion, when it's anything but that. It's simply mocking religion. But our eternal lives and our identities have been purchased for us, far more than for $20, but with the blood of Jesus Christ poured out on the cross for each and every one of us. How does that, <clears throat> in the way we live, proclaim our identity? And how, does, how do we reveal that truth to the world that we live in? 